the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am the headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday afternoon, or Saturday evening, I should say, um, on AM 1280, The Patriot. And of course, I am joined in studio once again by the producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. And another good evening to you, Rebecca. Yes. yes. It's a little warmer outside anyway. A little bit. Not too cold, <laughs> right? right? A yeah. little bit. <laughs> Yes, I always look forward to the spring and summer, though. Right, yeah. (laughs) Well, over last summer, we told you about the landmark Minnesota Supreme Court ruling in the Cruz-Guzman case, in which plaintiffs seeking court-ordered metro-wide racial balancing in Twin Cities public schools can move forward. And during that show, Rebecca, we did discuss how research and more than 40 years of experience were demonstrating that, though extremely costly, neither race-based busing nor learning gap programs are likely to improve uh, minority performance in Twin Cities public schools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Cruzman Cruz Guzman case is now headed back to district court. And if the plaintiffs have their way, our guest tonight tells us that they will push for a sweeping plan to sort metro area students, including those in suburban districts and charter schools, on the basis of skin color. Which sounds absolutely crazy, doesn't it? It does. 21st century. Absolutely. You know, it kind of makes you feel like you're going back in time. Well, I mean, just bringing Mm -hmm. people together in general, I mean, it can't possibly be the only solution. No way. Well, as we'll hear over the next 25 minutes, the fallout from these cases and subsequent great financial costs, it does end up hurting the people that the plaintiffs intend to help the most. Mm -hmm. Well, joining us by telephone to help bring some clarity to this important racial equity-based issue is Catherine Kirsten. Two months ago, Catherine addressed the specifics surrounding the Cruz-Guzman case in a piece that she wrote for the Star Tribune, titled A General Mess. Good description. (laughs) Catherine is a writer, an attorney, and a senior policy fellow and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 to 98. She also has served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008, and before that was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. She became very well respected through all of this writing. And she's been a guest multiple times on Education Nation, and she's a name that is recognized by our AM 1280 The Patriot audience as well. So, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us once again this evening. My pleasure. Well, we have this topic before us here, this Cruz-Guzman case, and it has been referred to as a so-called education adequacy case. 
What does this mean and what do plaintiffs point to as the remedy? Well, uh, what it means is this. The, the plaintiffs in these adequacy, education adequacy lawsuits claim that uh, state's constitution, in this case Minnesota, mm-hmm. requires that students receive an adequate education. Actually, that word does not appear in the Minnesota or I, I don't know, any, any mm-hmm. state constitution, but that's, that's the way they interpret the constitution. Okay. Uh, then they point to a racial academic achievement gap in the school system in question. And they say that that gap is evidence that minority students are not getting an adequate education as they are required to, they say, Mm -hmm. by the state constitution. And so they say a remedy is an order, this Mm -hmm. unconstitutional action. And uh, almost always it means uh, a huge increase in uh, public education funding. Spending. Yes. And it always seems that they think that that is going to be the panacea, you know, that's going to fix it all is funding. And exactly. Um, and often don't want to look at the real core of what is going on that is causing that achievement gap. Yep. Precisely. Well, well, in addition to being costly, it's also important to note that Nowhere has a victory by plaintiffs produced the meaningful increase in poor and minority students' academic performance. So we know that that's been proven to be the case in other states over and over, but especially New Jersey and Colorado. Could you take a few moments to describe what this type of adequacy litigation has produced there? Sure. Now, in in New Jersey, uh, the adequacy education litigation has been going on for well uh, over 40 years oh my goodness and it's just been um incredibly controversial and backbreakingly expensive there uh, it's produced massive tax hikes and state borrowing and it has produced a, a near citizen revolt over increases in property taxes but as wow. you point out rebecca Despite all this infusion of funding for districts with large minority populations, there has not been any kind of significant improvement in students' performance. Mm -hmm. And in Colorado, fortunately, Colorado was able to avoid this kind of problem. The the governor, outgoing governor, uh, John Hickenlooper, Mm -hmm. was opposed to this. And pointed out to the people of Colorado that a victory by the plaintiffs would require Colorado to raise taxes by, he said, at least 50 percent. Oh, my goodness. 50 percent. Or almost 90 percent of its general fund budget to K-12 funding. Wow. Which would mean much less money for Medicaid, public safety, higher education, transportation, et cetera. But in 2013, Colorado's Supreme Court rejected plaintiffs' case and uh, therefore Colorado escaped. Unbelievable. That is a a good thing. 90%. Can you imagine 90% of the state budget going to that? You know, in Minnesota, we just had um, Senator Han on the show the last time. And I think he he talked about what percentage it is in Minnesota education. Did he say something like 64%? It's still really high, even in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Do you happen to know that number, Catherine? If you don't, that's okay. but. I don't. I don't. It, it is certainly uh, high, but as we know, um, so many people always claim that it must be higher, right. and uh, they they <laughs> fail to look at 
how kids really learn exactly it's not a matter of money it's a matter of what goes on in the classroom yes oh this is yes you're singing you're singing to the choir here because that is exactly Uh, what i I try to say over Uh and over (laughs) and you just have to wonder how watered down everything will be in the classroom when we talked about all the different social services that were being presented by the incoming administration Mm -hmm. that would be included in the school sequence Yeah. yeah yeah exactly well, turning Not our much t- time for learning, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, turning our attention back to the plaintiffs now in the Cruz Guzman mm-hmm. case here in Minnesota, they're making a different and highly unusual charge. You know, what charge right. are they bringing? And is the chief cause of the racial achievement gap in the Minneapolis and St. Paul public schools? And just how serious of a charge do you think this is? Uh, well, what they claim, uh, they, they look at the racial achievement gap. Uh, in, you know, let's say, reading and math, uh, which we have here in Minnesota, which is reflected across the nation. It's particularly uh, wide here because we have such a highly edu- educated population overall. Mm-hmm. Right. So in a place like New Mexico, where the, the education level is generally rather low, although uh, minority kids are not performing well there, the gap would not appear to be as wide. But what they are claiming here in Minnesota is that our gap is largely a result of the fact that uh, black and white students uh, tend to uh, attend schools in uh, with different kinds of racial balance. They say that if black students sat next to white students, in every school, uh, essentially, you would uh, there'd be massive improvements in the academic mm-hmm. achievement gap. Mm-hmm. So they are seeking a metro-wide race-based busing remedy, which mm-hmm. is, as you point out, extremely unusual. There's only been one other case like this in the nation at the state level, mm-hmm. and that's in Connecticut, where it's been a, a great failure but has cost $3 billion to date. Yeah, yeah, right. we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. And, and more specifically, too, Catherine, I mean, aren't they bringing charges of illegal segregation? Isn't that essentially what they're touching on? Well, uh, they call it segregation, yes. They say that our schools are, quote, segregated. That is completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the term, the legal term segregation refers to a situation where deliberate, intentional right. government right. action mm-hmm. has been taken to separate students on the basis of race. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have nothing like that right. here. We never have. More than that, um, we have the opposite. We have one of the, the broadest uh, arrays of parental choice in education in the nation. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, charter schools with the home of charter schools. We have open enrollments. We have post-secondary options uh, for parents who want to send their children to college in high school at public expense. They can choose the college. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, it's absurd to suggest that uh, schools are segregated, but they, they use this 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 term uh, hoping that the average person has no idea what it means. Because sure. of course, the schools in Minneapolis have more black students right. on average, you know, per, mm-hmm. per capita than the schools in uh, Orono. Mm-hmm. And they, they like to suggest that that is segregation. Mm-hmm. It's nothing of the sort. Right, right. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of um, aggressive almost to use that word um, yes. in this day and age and um, kind of rely on that implication when, when they knowing, when they know it's not true. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, I find that, really disingenuous to use that term that way. And um, yeah, it's certainly, 
doesn't bode well then for the case itself and, and wanting right. the, the Minnesota to really understand what they're really asking for. It kind of masks what they're really asking for. It does. And mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to sort of um, uh, fly under the moral mantle of Brown v. Board of Education, yes. which right. is you know, the great desegregation yes. case in 1954. They assume people won't understand that the tremendous difference mm-hmm. between what we have here and then. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a PR yeah, well, and that's one of the reasons why we're talking about it today. Absolutely, expose right. it. Yeah. Well, you are listening here to Education Nation on AM twelve eighty, The Patriot. Rebecca and I are joined this evening again by Catherine Kirsten, and we are just having a discussion, really part two, of uh, Twin City Schools, rather, and racial balancing in light of the Minnesota Supreme Court ruling uh, this past summer. Um, in the Cruz Guzman case versus the state of Minnesota. And, and just to give our listeners a rough picture of what a racial balance plan might look like here in the state, you've written that a few years ago before the Cruz Guzman case, the University of Minnesota's Institute on Race and Poverty, now called the Institute on Metropolitan Opportunity, proposed what they term a voluntary racial balance plan. Uh, would you share the specifics from that idea and just how many students would have been affected by such a proposal? Sure. Uh, in fact, just uh, a couple days ago, we got more information mm. on what it is that uh, attorney Dan Schulman in this case wants to see. Mm. Uh, he says, and it reflects exactly that study that you just mentioned at the U of M. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dan Schulman has now said that he wants to see the entire metro area, and this is the seven counties, mm-hmm. um, divided into wedge shapes. Uh, it hasn't mm. said how many, probably five, seven, something like that. Mm-hmm. But they would stretch from uh, inner city Minneapolis and St. Paul way out to mm. things, Forest Lake, Arno, Chaska, et cetera. And kids would be bused oh, uh, with the idea of racial balance. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could be in, on the bus for an hour yeah. each way. But beyond that, uh, Schulman now says that he wants to see uh, so-called integration or racial balance in all school classrooms, not just classrooms. school districts and schools, but school classrooms. So they talked about this 20 years ago when they tried to push something like this. Mm-hmm. And what they mean there is all special education classes, all honors, AP classes oh would have to be racially balanced in every school. How artificial and and how complicated could you possibly get? You know, that's... yeah. I, I can't doesn't benefit anybody right but in terms of the number mark back mm-hmm. in um, 2009 when the, this uh, Institute on race and poverty came out with this plan uh, they talked about uh, perhaps 20,000 kids wow. uh, having to be bust at that time with the uh, with the racial numbers uh, you know back uh, about 15 years ago now 2005 mm-hmm. or so the figures they what was that number again 20,000. 20,000. 20, 20, wow. Yeah, but who, who knows today? We have far, far larger proportion of, of students uh, being minority students today than we did 15 years ago. Right, exactly. Well, Catherine, you uh, write that the lawyers who filed the Cruz Guzman do not value the freedom of educational choice across the Twin Cities, which we know here in Minnesota has been kind of a primary goal. Um, what is the goal of these lawyers and how do they plan to achieve that end? Well, the goal of these lawyers has been for 20 years, since they've been trying to get something like this through for 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. It is simply to organize society uh, through, as a, in a way that reflects the ideological vision 
mm-hmm. that they hold, which it holds that uh, people of different colors must sit next to one another uh, in classrooms if uh, any kind of significant learning is to take place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing is that they have absolutely no research or data right. to back up their claims, and yet they would spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably millions of dollars, trying uh, to make millions. this happen. Yeah. Millions <laughs> of dollars, yeah, trying to make this happen. And then not to mention the inconvenience of the busing for these kids. Mm-hmm. And what, what really, I think, reveals that they do not have the interests of uh, minority children or any children at heart is that they uh, are particularly targeting as, quote, hyper-segregated um, charter schools that have been very successful mm-hmm. with low-income minority uh, children. And they, they see these as, as impermissible and unconstitutional. So the one real route out of uh, poor, you know, low-quality inner-city schools available mm-hmm. to these kids, these great charter schools, they, they want to uh, quash and yeah. undercut. Which is so sad. And that's actually what I was going to get to next. You know, we do want to emphasize as a radio program here that we do believe that every child is deserving of a quality education and one that works for all Minnesota children. However, it's clear that these racial, racial equity policies, including these, this racial balancing idea, do not close the achievement gap between white and minority students. So in Minneapolis, so there's one uh, school of choice that has a high population of minority students and low-income families, and they're thriving mm-hmm. in the classroom. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about with, uh, with our listeners about the success of the K-6 students at Friendship Academy? That's in sure. Minneapolis. And, and um, Friendship Academy of the Arts in Minneapolis is a good uh, example because that school uh, has chosen to uh, attempt to intervene mm-hmm. in this lawsuit uh, and say that uh, – that whatever might come out of this could be very harmful Mm -hmm. to them and to their students. And they're speaking publicly about that. So they're what's called a a beat the odds charter school. Friendship Mm -hmm. Academy is a K-6 school, 96% black, 85% low income students. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 2017, students there outperformed the state average in math and science Wow. on state uh, standardized tests That's with phenomenal. 95% of those kids uh, being proficient in science compared mm-hmm. to 61% of uh, kids across Minnesota. That is um, absolutely astounding. Friendship Academy, yeah. 95% of their students yeah. are proficient in science compared to the Minnesota average of 61%. Yeah. And this is a 96% um or 98% uh, black or minority, not not necessarily African-American, but minority. 96% black. It is 96% black students and then 90% um, free and reduced lunch, right? Right. And there are a number of other schools like this, these beating the odds, uh, charter schools, one being Higher Ground Academy, another uh, school that's intervened in this case. Hmm. Uh, but in 2014, the Star Tribune uh, had a top 10 list of, of being the odds uh, high priority schools. And they found that uh, of the top 10 schools that were beating the odds in Minnesota, eight were, um, were these so-called hyper-segregated charter schools. 
and they, they were that is uh, eight of those that were beating the odds in reading, and seven of the top ten beating the odds in math are these um, very heavily concentrated uh, uh, minority and low-income mm. charter schools. Mm. But these are the schools that this lawsuit attempts to to undercut and cripple, right. ignoring the the obvious success. Oh, that's just yeah. that's heartbreaking for that's an ideology. You know, the the Cruz-Guzman case, uh, Catherine, it's it's one of two education adequacy lawsuits uh, that we're seeing across the country where, again, plaintiffs are seeking metro-wide racial balancing of students as a remedy to closing this racial achievement gap. Uh, The other one uh, takes its root in the court case of Sheff versus O'Neill, and this was filed in 1989 in Hartford, Connecticut. And in 1996, the Connecticut Supreme Court ruled in favor of the plaintiffs. Now, let's fast forward to 2011, where Dan Schulman, who's the attorney representing the Cruz-Guzman plaintiffs, he said he planned to use the Connecticut case in the Minnesota-based education case that he intended to file. In helping us to understand just how things may turn out here in Minnesota, if this should go through the district courts here, share with our listeners the 30-year history of racial busing as a result of the Connecticut litigation. Yes, so what what happened in the Chef case is that the... Uh, the Supreme Court ruled for the plaintiffs uh, and then instructed the state legislature that it had to come up with a plan to uh, essentially achieve uh, racial balance in the Hartford metro area. Uh, what they did there was to create uh, an extremely expensive system of magnet schools uh, that kids would um, apply for in a lottery system. They also allowed low-income kids uh, from Hartford to go out into suburban schools. And so far, they have spent $3 billion mm. on this plan. Wow. Uh, they have not billion. seen... Yeah, it's, it's mind-blowing. And it just created havoc. I mean, I'm just reading a, a quote here from a newspaper in, in Hartford in 2010. It says, funding for magnets is based on a dizzying hodgepodge of financial arrangements that perplex educators, pit towns against one another, and stir a chorus of protest. And they also do double payment uh, in many cases hmm. so that uh, a, a city or a district will be compensated when the student for the student who leaves, and then that student expenses are also paid at the magnet school or at the suburban school. So double payment for educating the same child. And that's something Myra Norfield, who has been involved in Cruz Guzman, has advocated in the past uh, in these kinds of plans. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me in an article that you wrote about this a while back here, Catherine, um, you talked about how in Connecticut, the consequence of these requirements that there they have to have 25% white students in their magnet schools. And so what's happening, they have 60%, they're sitting at 60% capacity then. And it says these schools now give preference to white and Asian students while thousands of black and Hispanic students languish on waiting lists. How backwards. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. So, the color requirements of skin color uh, when it comes to these magnet schools, they won't be funded by the state unless they have 25% or more white students or white and Asian. They've now added Asian students, but not that many white and Asian students want to attend some of these magnets. So right. what that means is that, as you say, 
in some of these uh, expensive magnet schools, 40% of the seats are being held vacant because it's black and Hispanic kids. They're probably closer to their homes. You know, mm-hmm. Right. Makes sense. Well, so there actually has been now a federal lawsuit filed saying that this is discriminatory under the federal constitution because kids are being treated differently on the basis, on the basis of skin, skin color. color. Uh, t- yeah. That, yeah, and that is actual true segregation. <laughs> you know, true, it, That's true discrimination yes. under the federal constitution. Yes, right. right. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, Catherine, the Minnesota Supreme Court's vote in favor of this Cruz Guzman, um, their plaintiffs, has opened the way to chef-like remedies here. But you right. say that Minnesota students would likely sustain even greater harm than the Hartford area, which is hard to imagine. Um, what specifically do you think might be some of the devastating consequences? Well, um, first of all, uh, we have a system, uh, and in fact, a, a long legacy of parental choice in education here, which they don't have in Connecticut. And it's mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that these plaintiffs mm-hmm. are targeting. They want to seriously constrain educational choice. They want racial balancing in charter schools. They want serious constraints on open enrollments. And, you know, likely PSEL also has, uh, you know, would be a, a price paid mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But I think in, in addition, um, because after this massive expense and all this, the, the, the failure to, to raise minority achievements appreciably in Connecticut, the plaintiffs here are, are very likely to argue that we need something far more uh, drastic, including you know, mandatory race-based busing, uh, mm-hmm. because it hasn't worked in Connecticut despite the expenditure. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. And that's a, that is a really important distinction here, that we do value school choice right. in Minnesota, or we have historically anyway. And we see the results of and, that when you look at uh, Friendship Academy. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, magnet schools, I guess I don't know 100% the difference between a magnet school and a charter school. Catherine, do you know the difference between yeah. those two? Yes. You don't hear much about magnet schools today in Minnesota because mm-hmm. they have been so unsuccessful. Um, so magnet schools are schools that are created specifically with the intent to uh, racially balance the oh, classroom. did not know that. Really? Yep, but the reason you don't is that people don't talk about them anymore. They were a big deal in St. Paul. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, over 20 years or so. They mm-hmm. were also, several of them were part of the settlements of a suit like this that was brought in about, that was settled in 2000, where plaintiffs were trying to do exactly what they're doing now. Uh, but those schools, which cost a lot, and attempted to uh, to attract kids from suburban schools and inner city schools and mix them. Uh, those hmm. schools were all unsuccessful. Interesting. They were unsuccessful in attracting the kids they wanted to. They did not improve minority kids' scores as hoped. So they were dropped mm-hmm. largely. And but now you know we see plaintiffs going back. And, uh, well, I mean, right. likely they will. Yeah. we don't know that, but right. likely they will. To so the same idea. Yeah, the same, the yeah. same sad, sorry idea that we know doesn't work. Costing Boy. a lot more money. Right, right. Well, yeah. Catherine, we have been so grateful to have you on today, and I, I hope that our listeners will really pay close attention to this case, this Cruz Guzman case, and and really even write into their legislators. And and you know, I know it's a Supreme Court case, but still, I think there can be influence on the legislature and. 
um, help no them question. to speak speak up about this because it would change the face of education in Minnesota for a very long time, and it would change our tax status and all of that. So it would have huge ramifications. Well, I'd like to thank Catherine Kirsten for joining us on the show this evening. She is always a wealth of knowledge and information on education. And Liberty Classical Academy is actually going to be hosting her in February. And if you'd like more details so that you can join us at that very special event, uh, you can check out our website at libertyclassicalacademy.org. You can also get more details at ednationmn.org, where you can also find our podcasts and also on iTunes at ednation.org. We're on Facebook, Education Nation Radio, and on Twitter at ednationmn. So we hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you for listening to Education Nation, AM 1280, The Patriot. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.